Hi, I'm Jennifer Matthewson Spear, and you have joined us today for a Word of Joy podcast. Father, I am so thankful. I'm just just almost overwhelmed with gratitude tonight for your grace, your goodness, and your love, your mercy. Father, I'm looking at these faces here in this room with me, and and we have all had such a um, variety of feelings and emotions and experiences over the last few months. And Father, we know that you're still here. You're still in control. You still love us. Father, we've come tonight with burdens and with heartache and with stress and, and decisions that have to be made. And, and, and Lord, we just bring it all tonight and we just, we just lay it down for an hour at your feet to learn and to listen. And Father, equip us by your spirit to pick up the responsibilities we have and to walk in confidence. Lord, I pray tonight that you would quicken my mind and my heart and that you would help me recall everything I've studied and that you would frame it as only you can. I thank you for this privilege. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. I have never been an athlete, not one day in my entire life. And so I have great respect for athletes. I have friends that run marathons. I have friends that just run. I have, I, I, and I just have such respect for those. I have friends that do those, those um, crazy races in mud, and they do all these kinds of the grit stuff, and, and I just think that's amazing. I watched the, the American Ninja thing on TV the other night. That's how desperate TV is right now for me. And they even did part of that blindfolded. I just couldn't believe it. It's so impressive. And I, I always just have such respect for athletes. But do you know, in my neighborhood, we have some nice sidewalks. And there's this man in my neighborhood who's way up in his 90s. And every morning, that man gets up. And he's bent over and he's slow. But he puts one foot in front of the other. And he walks. And I am way more impressed with him than I am young athletes. Because there is a tenacity to what he is doing way beyond anything I really have. It's just that one foot in front of the other. And you think about walking, and you know, walking is just so ordinary. It, it seems so unremarkable. And yet when we come to the scripture, and especially to the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to use the word walk six times in the book of Ephesians that I counted. He may be more in there, but six that I have counted. And we think, what, is, what does he mean by walking? In, in the letter to the Ephesians, it is our life or our lifestyle. Just walking out this Christian life, this life we have in Christ. But you know what? I like that verse in Isaiah so much better. It says, mount up with wings like eagle. Run and don't be weary. Walk. Ordinary old walking. And don't faint. Don't you wish we could just, just handle life mounting up wings like eagle? We're just going to soar across the mountains. We are just going to fly over and through everything. And it just is so grand and so wonderful. And yet Paul says, walk. 
regular old everyday unremarkable walk. Walking is all through the Bible. I want you to go with me, before we start in Ephesians, I want you to go with me to the book of Joshua. It's in the Old Testament, and I, I love the Old Testament because so, so much of it is stories. Now, you will need a Bible in this study. If you don't have one, you come see me or Lisa, and we will get you a Bible that you can keep, that it will be yours. Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God has raised up a people, Israel. They were enslaved in, in Egypt, and then God raised up Moses and took them out of slavery. They went into the wilderness. They sinned against God. They wandered for 40 years. A generation died off. And when you come to the book of Joshua, they are about to enter into the promised land. Now, I love the book of Joshua. Joshua reads like an adventure story to me. And yet one of the interesting things about the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you will see the New Testament concealed in the Old Testament. And when you read the New Testament, you will see the Old Testament revealed. And Joshua and Ephesians mirror one another. Joshua is the Old Testament version of Ephesians. When Joshua is about to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, there is something very clear that has happened historically in the nation of Israel. It is that from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 11, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he has said, I will give you a land. He repeats that promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all of Jacob's children, to Joseph to Moses, to Aaron, and now to Joshua. I will give you the land. I have already given you this land. The land of the time was Canaan. It was filled with Israel's enemy. But God said, this is your place. This is your land. And we come to the book of Joshua. Joshua is about to lead Israel across the Jordan River into this land that they have anticipated for hundreds of years. I want you to look with me at verse... Two. Two through six. We'll do it real quick. This is, this is all introduction, by the way. I have eight pages of introduction. <laughs> Look at verse two. Moses, this is God speaking to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Look at verse three. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. I want you to look at a couple of concepts, and, and I'll put them in your notes for next week. If you can write them down, write them down, because you're going to see these exact same con concepts in the book of Ephesians. Number one, the land is already theirs. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 6. God has already given them the land. In verse 4, 
He determines the parameters of the land. That description that he gives about the Euphrates River and the Hittites and the land. He's, he's establishing the parameters of the land. He doesn't say, just go take anything you want. He says, here's the parameters. This is yours. The third thing, he is saying in verse 5, no man shall stand before you. There are people, there are enemies living in the land. But guess what? The enemy has already been defeated. Now, they will have to participate in taking it away from the enemy, of taking possession, but God has already dealt with the enemy. When you go to chapter 2, it says God's already melted their hearts. God has dealt with the enemy. And the fourth thing, the presence of God is already there. But what I want you to see tonight in this idea of walking is verse 3. It's important. He says, every place... The sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. What, what is that saying? Every place you walk, every place you take a step is yours. Here's the concept I want you to hear and see. He's already given it to them. It belongs to them. But they must take possession of what is already theirs. And every step that they take is taking possession of what already belongs to them. God did not give you and me, if you're a believer in Christ, he did not give us land in the Middle East. He doesn't say to us, go take the land. We did not inherit a land like Israel, but we as believers in Christ have inherited a life. And he says, this life is yours. Everything is available to you. But you must take possession of what is already yours. They had to participate in taking the land. And you and I have to participate in this thing called the Christian life. We don't get to just sit on the sidelines and say, yeah, go God, solve all my problems. We have to walk we have to put down our feet and take a step. We may not be running marathons. We may not be jumping over things. We may just be plodding along one step at a time. But he says, you keep walking, taking possession in this life that you have inherited. We go back to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> we are taking possession one day at a time of what God has already given us. What we're going to do tonight and next week is to see what God has already given us. Ephesians is, is laid out so beautifully. I know many of you have studied Ephesians. But Ephesians is laid out in such a way that the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, tell us who we are and what we have in Christ. The first three chapters, who we are and what we have in Christ. And we're going to rush through the first three chapters this week and next week. The next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, are now what do you do with what you have? How do you live out who you are in Christ? What's the practical side of all this doctrine that we're about to go through? We're going to talk tonight about our position in Christ. In two weeks, we will talk about our practice in Christ. How do we live out who we are? Everything about the book of Ephesians is based on Christ. And everything about Christ is based on grace. We're going to see a lot about grace in the book of Ephesians and this 
walk of grace that we're in. We are to walk in grace. So let's get started. Let's go to verse 1. Let's go to verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now I got to tell you, I say we're going to paint with a broad brush, but there are things I have taught Ephesians more than a dozen times in different settings, in different lengths of time, weeks. But there were things about the circumstances that we are in today and fresh eyes seeing this book of Ephesians. And God has shown me things and brought out truths that I knew were there but have somehow just penetrated my heart in a new way. And that first verse is one of them. I know sometimes when we read Scripture, and we, especially Paul's letters, the letter, the epistles, we, we kind of rush through the first part. Oh, yes, this is Paul, to so-and-so, and blah, 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 blah. But then I looked at that verse again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That word apostle means he is called out and has authority. And he is writing to, in the New American Standard, which is what I am using, it says writing to the saints who are at Ephesus. The saints is not some special category of believers in Christ. It is you and I. It is believers in Christ. He says, I am writing to the saints who are at Ephesus, and look what that next phrase is, and who are faithful in Christ. Why does that hit me? Because if you dig a little bit and know the history of Ephesus, you will know that faithful living as a believer came at a cost. Ephesus was a pagan city, is in Asia Minor, is part of the Roman Empire. The city of Ephesus was where the temple of Artemis was. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Artemis was the Greek goddess of fertility. Um, some people say she's the same as Diana, as the Roman goddess Diana. But Diana, what her, the image of her was very beautiful. And Artemis is a short, squat, round, multi-breasted goddess. And she is the goddess of fertility. And to her, this amazing temple was built. And it was amazing. It was longer than a football field. It was held up by 127 columns, each of them 60 feet tall. It housed an incredible treasury. It was a bank, a depository that was the wealthiest depository in all of Asia. It made loans to kingdoms and to kings. Inside of it housed some of the most beautiful artwork found in the ancient world. It was a place of astounding beauty. And yet within that beautiful temple, there were hundreds of priests and priestesses who assisted the worshipers who came from all over the Roman Empire to worship in the temple of Artemis. Because when you entered into the temple of Artemis to worship, you could do anything your imagination could come up with sexually. And these priests and priestesses would facilitate worshipers. They would hand them over to the temple, both male and female prostitutes, to do whatever they wanted to do in the act of worship to Artemis. It was a wicked, vile, evil, pagan practice, and it consumed the city of Ephesus. 
And because that temple was such an important place in that city, there was a 200-yard radius that went out from that temple, was a place of sanctuary where any person who was convicted of a crime could go and live within the shadow of that edifice and could not be charged with a crime. So you now have this immorality inside the temple, a criminal element outside of the temple. And the evil that permeated from that place went into all the city. And in Acts chapter 19, you can read when Paul went into the city and a church was started. The occult, witchcraft, astrology was prevalent in the entire city of Ephesus. And much of the economy of Ephesus was silversmiths and merchants making trinkets and things to buy that were supposed to have great mystical power. Paul went there on his second missionary journey and established a church. He left that church in the care of Priscilla and Aquila. He left for two years. He came back two years later. He stayed for two and a half years. That church grew. It became a strong church. Timothy became the pastor. It became John the Apostle's church as well. And we read about it in the book of Revelation in chapter 2. as one of the most doctrinally sound churches in all of Christendom. And yet to be a believer on the front end of all of that, when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, was hard. Not only was Ephesus a wicked city, not only was the city itself permeated with this vile worship, but Nero was the emperor. Nero hated Christians. As a matter of fact, it's recorded that at one time when a fire broke out in Rome. He blamed it on the Christians. Most people think he started it himself so he could rebuild it like he wanted to. But after that fire, he used Christians as torches to light his banquet hall. And here they are, a church under Nero's rule. They were considered a cult. They were considered treasonous because they would not engage in emperor worship. And yet Paul says to the believers in Ephesus who are faithful. That's astounding to me. I have heard the words a thousand times in the last six months. These are unprecedented times. Let me tell you, they are not. The church believers have survived different things than what we are going through right now. I am not diminishing the stress or the heartache or the difficulties of these last few months, but I am saying we are not living in unprecedented times. We are living in a world that does not acknowledge God. If you go back into history, you will see that the church and believers have survived through these 2,000 years. They have survived the bubonic plague. They have survived wars. They have survived plagues and persecution and natural disasters. It is the continuous pattern of the human race. And the church is still alive and still thriving. And these days, I want the Lord to look at us and say, to the believers in Venice, Florida, who are faithful in Christ. And that's just the first verse. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Paul always puts grace and peace in that order. We won't hang out here long, but you cannot experience the peace of God until you have first experienced the grace of God. And that's why Paul puts it in that order. But let's start with verse 3 because here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's just stop there a minute. On your outline, we are through with the introduction, by the way. <laughs> we are on to point number one, the blesser. The one who blesses. According to verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God is the one who blesses. When we read that line, blessed be the God and Father, that word is the word we get eulogy from, but it means worthy to be praised. That God is worthy to be praised. And I, I love the way that Paul denotes God in two ways. God and Father. He is God. He is sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. He is holy and righteous and just. And one characteristic of God never diminishes another. He is all of those to an equal degree all the time. And yet, he is Father. He loves us. And I know every time I, I, I present God as Father, I know there are some of us in this audience who did not have good earthly fathers. And it is very difficult for us to imagine what a lovely, wonderful, heavenly Father looks like. But let me tell you something. Our earthly fathers are not the standard by which we measure God. God as Father is the standard by which every father on this earth is evaluated. And he is a good father. And he is love. He loves us with an agape love. That love that loves us like we need to be loved, not like we want to be loved. It is a love of the will. And he has chosen to set his love upon us. And that love flows out of his character. It is a demonstrative love. God demonstrates his love toward us. And we will see this next week in two ways, through mercy and through grace. Mercy is the withholding of that which we do deserve. Grace is the giving of that which we do not deserve. Grace is the intentional kindness of God poured out on undeserving people. A little acrostic that I sometimes use is for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Every gift that he pours out on us, every blessing that he has blessed us with comes at the expense of Christ and what Christ has done in his death and his resurrection. God is Father. And it says we are the recipient of those blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, us, believers in Christ, that's the us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I want you to do something for me, kind of teachery. If you have your Bible, I, I want you to, to write in it. I want you to underline some things. If you do it electronically, you're smarter than me, but I like a Bible. I like to write in it. Every time in this study, you see the word in Christ, I want you to underline it. In Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. You are going to find it at least 25 times in the book of Ephesians. In Christ. Everything about Ephesians is centered in Christ. 
And Paul is saying we are blessed with, look at verse 3, every, and if you write, circle the word, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. <clears throat> Point two on your outline, we're going to talk about what those blessings are. Every spiritual blessing. Well, what is a spiritual blessing? A spiritual blessing originates with God and given to us in Christ. And it is exercised in this earthly life. Now, we've talked about before when we studied Philippians that we have this dual citizenship for kind of a season of life. We, we are citizens of this earth. We are to operate as good citizens of this earth. But our higher citizenship is we are citizens of heaven. And God is saying, I am giving you spiritual blessings that you will utilize in this everyday life as you walk it out. Spiritual blessings. But I like the word every. Every spiritual blessing. What does every mean? Every, every all of them. You got all of them. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, 3, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has granted everything that we need to live this Christian life, every spiritual blessing that we need. Ladies, we got it all when we got Jesus. I like to say, you got all of Jesus you're ever going to get. You should write that down. <laughs> you got all of Jesus you're ever going to get. You don't get Jesus in increments. You don't get his blessings in increments. I don't care if you're 8 or 80 when you come into the family of God. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in just a few minutes. I don't care how old you are when you come into the family of God. You got all of Jesus you're ever going to get. And the rest of your life is learning how to live in light of what you already have. It is taking that step into the land, one step at a time, taking possession of all that you have been given. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Thank you for joining us today for this Word of Joy podcast. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Word of Joy or you would like to know more about the resources that are available, just take a look at our website at www.wordofjoy.org.